Shalom, and welcome to Israel Policy Pod. I'm Evan Gottesman. Shalom, Evan. I'm Eli Koaz. So, things have been heating up between Israel and Iran in recent days. On Sunday, an apparent sabotage attack against Iran's Natanz nuclear facility has been all but conclusively attributed to Israel. Iran now says it will ramp up its uranium enrichment levels. On Tuesday, an Israeli-owned cargo vessel, the Hyperion Ray, was attacked on its way to the United Arab Emirates, allegedly by Iranian forces. So to help us better understand uh, the state of affairs between Israel and Iran, we're thrilled to be joined by Dr. Shira Efron, who's a policy advisor to Israel Policy Forum, based uh, in Tel Aviv. Shira, thank you so much for for joining us. Hi, Eli. Hi, Evan. Thank you for having me. So this was the same site that was hit by an Israeli strike last year. Obviously, this week, there were talks in Vienna about um, the possibility of the United States rejoining the JCPOA. Do we think that these attacks by Israel are a coincidence or... Are they happening, uh, let's say, on an ad hoc basis? Or is the timing specific to try to have some effect or influence on on these talks in, in Vienna? I think um, there's no definite answer. We have to remember that the specific uh, blackout that happened in Atans, uh, for which actually Israeli officials apparently took credit uh, in various leaks, um, it didn't happen in a vacuum, right? You have the campaign between wars, what is called in Hebrew, the Mabam, the Maracha Ben Amilchamo, that Israel um, has been striking various Iranian targets and Iran has been retaliating. So even just this week, um, you know, in the limelight was the, the Natanz uh, strike, which was the most, uh, um, I guess, unusual uh, but there were two others. There was the, one of the, the uh, regular uh, strikes on um, a shipment of Iranian uh, weapon uh, in Damascus. Um, and there was also another one on, on um, IRGC uh, command ship um, in the Red Sea. Now, the timing of it. We don't know if this um, Timing was opportunistic that you have an operational window and that Israel just had to do it. Um, not only when the United States, but it's not only the United States, right? It's just JCPOA is an agreement between a representative of the international community and Iran. So it's not just the United States, but it's not when, when they are meeting in Vienna to try to go back to uh, the agreement from which the United States withdrew. Um, but also, we need to remind everyone that the, 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 the attack happened just, I think, hours before the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, on his first visit to Israel. Uh, it's hard for me to think and imagine that Israel would surprise the United States this way and deliberately design such a, a strategic a strike, right? It's not just the, the usual ones that we've been seeing in the last few years in Syria. Um, on the day of the visit and uh, during the negotiations, um, but there are a lot of analysts in Israel that argue that the Secretary of Defense Austin was was really surprised that even if the United States received some notice, 
it was an ample notice. And um, and the assessments are, and I share these assessments, uh, that Israel is trying to derail um, a possible return to the agreement. Um, but it's not just with one strike. It's an ongoing effort that we've been seeing for some time now. And why do you think Israel wants to stop the United States from re-entering this agreement? So here we have to go back and, you know, you youngsters on the call who may not remember. But um, Israel for for more than two decades now uh, has seen Iran as its uh, most important strategic threat. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says it's an existential threat, a definition that I don't like because I don't think there are existential threats on Israel, it's just, at least not external. Um, but uh, um, when, when uh, and, and I think one of the achievements of Israel is that it's managed to turn the Iranian threat into an international issue, not just an Israeli issue. So uh, under the Obama administration started the uh, covert talks with Iran that later on um, uh, turned to overt talks over what is now known as the JCPOA, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or the nuclear agreement with Iran, which was signed eventually in 2015. Leading up to the agreement, Israel, it was still prime minister, was still was then prime minister as he is today, um, was um, using different tactics to try to prevent the U.S. from getting to from reaching disagreement. He was mostly going uh, for Congress, which is very different from what we're seeing now so far. Um, APAP, uh, there was a speech uh, in Congress um, where Netanyahu was basically asking not to go uh, in, into the agreement. It is important, I think, to remember that once the agreement was signed, um, is, Israelis took it as fait accompli and basically moved on, in a sense. Um, the IDF changed all of its operational plans and started working on Iran's regional, uh, the, the, the regional dimension of the Iranian threat, uh, meaning it's trying to expand its reach uh, even further into Lebanon, of course, based itself in Syria, uh, Gaza, Yemen, Iraq. Um, throughout the region and enforcing what Israel defined as red lines, uh, which is um, ascending advanced uh, weapon capabilities to its proxies in the region and establishing a uh, presence. When the Trump administration entered office, he basically fulfilled it, his um, election campaign to withdraw from what he, his, him and his team saw as a really bad agreement, the JCPOA. Um, I don't want to say great minds um, thought alike in that context, uh, but there seemed to be a, a, a strong convergence of views among the Netanyahu government and the Trump administration. Israel enthusiastically recognized an opening for from withdrawal to the uh, from for a withdrawal from the agreement and encouraged uh, the Trump administration to do so. And the idea was. We will draw, we'll withdraw from the agreement that Israel thought it's a bad agreement. Um, and we will try a different strategy. The Trump administration came up with a strategy that was called uh, maximum pressure, uh, draconian economic um, sanctions on Iran. Secretary Pompeo came out, up with 12 points where he calls Iran basically to be something else. They said they're not looking for a regime change, but 
they were hoping for a regime collapse, I think it's a euphemism. And Israel was really encouraging that. The problem is, and this is what I ask Israelis today, is like, okay, what did this maximum pressure and alternative strategy got you? Nothing. Iran in those times, in the beginning, Iran uh, remained committed to its, com- uh, to its obligations in the agreement, but slowly started violating as well. And Iran is closer today to nuclear weapons than it's ever been. So when you, back to your question, when you say, like, why, why did Israel want to prevent a return to an agreement? They say it's a terrible agreement. Um, I think it's better to have an imperfect agreement than no agreement at all, because we started the alternative without having an agreement gets Iran even closer to a nuclear uh, to nuclear weapon capabilities. Um, some people here say that the best option would be a military action, a military strike to take out the nuclear plant. The problem is that I just don't see that happening. Um, not Israel allegedly cannot do this on its own. You know, Iranian nuclear program is 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 a big thing. Um, Israel has a very strong military, strong capabilities, but it's 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 it's. It's too big to, for Israel to do on its own. There are a lot of countries in the middle that Israel would have to pass by. There's the United States involved. Um, and I don't see anyone in the United States with any appetite for military action. So now you have these two different approaches. We have the, the U.S. approach, the current administration's approach, and the rest of the world, by the way. It's uh, Russia and the Europeans and China and others. They all say, like, no, if you go back to an agreement, you put Iran back in the box. And it buys us more time. It's true. We're not solving the problem forever, but we're buying time. And time is important here. And you have the Israelis that say, oh, let's continue more of the same with the hope that it would lead to a different outcome. Um, And I think that the difference in threat assessment in Israel and in Washington as to, um, first of all, Iran's intentions. Um, I think in Washington, there's a... Um, the assessment is that Iran is close to nuclear weapons capabilities, but that they don't want to break out, um, that, that Iran wants to go back to an agreement. Um, and in Israel, the, the assessment is that Iran is, could be um, interested in, in, um, in acquiring weapons. Um, and second, there's a different uh, assessment of the best approach to mitigate this threat. And... This, this differential, uh, both in the threat and in the best approach to mitigate it, I think it's going to stay with us, uh, at least for the next few months, if not years. Right. Um, I completely agree, Shira, with that assessment. Also, you mentioned some Israelis that are advocating for a full-scale military uh, strike that I think experts say that that would only uh, delay or push back Iran's nuclear capabilities by a year or two. So again, not solving, not offering a real solution to the Iranian nuclear um, issue. And ideally, I'm sure Israel will want regime change, but that's something that's easier said um, than done. But um, turning to Iran's response here, which is interesting because remember, I think it was a few months ago when supposedly, again, Israel assassinated um, the Iranian scientist. Pardon my pronunciation, Mohsen Fakhri Khazadeh. So Iran's response was relatively, it wasn't harsh. I think, I believe, if, if I recall, an Israeli owned ship was attacked in the Gulf. 
But a lot of people said that Iran's response, that, that the reason for that was the prospects of the United States rejoining the JCPOA and lifting um, sanctions on Iran. What, what do we think this time around? I mean, Evan mentioned earlier the Hyperion Ray, the Israeli-owned vessel that was attacked. We saw today in the news um, that Iran announced that they've enriched uranium uh, to 60%, which is the highest they have yet. I believe 90% is the level that uranium needs to be enriched at in order for uh, it to be- become uh, part of a, a nuclear weapon. What, what do we think about Iranian response? And how does this, again, complicate the issue of getting the U.S. back in, in the JCPOA? But in, in particular, do, do we think that this is, for now at least, what the response will look like? Or should Israel be on high alert um, in terms of maybe proxies um, from the north, um, either in Syria or, or Hezbollah uh, in Lebanon? What should we expect here? Yeah, no, so I, you know, I don't know, and it's very difficult to do the accounting, because the Hyperion Ray and other strikes on Israeli maritime vessels, now we know it's retaliation for um, Israeli strikes in the maritime domain that Israel started in 2019, and according to the Israeli chief head of the Israeli Navy, there have been dozens and dozens of them. So I don't know if the Hyperion Ray is a retaliation for, you know... (laughs) For um, or or another, um, uh, and basically it's commercial vessels, right? Um, are those a response to a, an assassination of a scientist, or are they a response to uh, Israeli hurting um, Iranian maritime vessels? I think that if you look, and you know, we need to be careful about this. But when Israel, or according to foreign sources, when there have been um, attacks on the Iranian nuclear program, Iran tended to respond within the lines of the nuclear program. So here you have an Atan's uh, attack that likely had something to do with Israel. And then Iran, in response, it doesn't strike anyone, right? What it does, it's, uh, it announces that it would enrich uh, uranium to the priority level of 60%, which I agree with you, is very significant. Very, very significant. Um, uh, I, I think the the other the other strikes that we're seeing in different different levels, right, in, in land and in, in sea, um, are uh, probably have to do with other Israeli attacks. But you you bring us me to, to I guess there are two things we need to talk about. The first thing is the fact that it used to be you may remember this Israel never took credit for anything. By the way, even for Farsi did that the nuclear scientist Israel didn't uh, claim responsibility for it. And then it's easier not to to you know you have uh, an ability of deniability, and you take off pressure from Iran or whoever your adversary is to retaliate. I, I mean, not 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 di- directly, but obviously Benny Gantz, who's, who's minister of the defense and alternate prime minister, he was asked at a meeting with uh, U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin, an Israeli journalist, or Heller, yelled at him, yelled at Mr. Secretary, uh, he yelled Mr. Secretary, and he commented on the Natan's uh, attack, and Benny Gantz um, said to the journalist, this is something that I think would only fly in, in Israel, said, or Heller, I'll take off your head. 
Um, I, I, I mean, almost the most unofficial way of taking credit for the attack uh, in front of a bunch of cameras, but... It's certainly much more direct than previous strikes, as you were saying, Sure, I mean, the way that Gantz even addressed it in that incident that you're talking about, UI, is much more direct than anything than, for example, that Israel said for a very long time about the 2007 strike on the Syrian nuclear reactor. Right, right. No, no, you on that. I was referring to the assassination of the nuclear scientists in Iran over the mm -hmm. summer. For this one, it was more than Benjamin Gantz, Benny Gantz, the defense minister, basically telling uh, a journalist that he's not allowed to ask questions, like in the worst autocratic, autocratic regimes. But, but fine, that's a different story. But you had reports over reports of Israeli intelligence leaks, uh, basically bragging about it. You have interagency competition between Mossad and Amman, uh, the director of military intelligence, on who who should get the credit. So, of course, Israel took full credit here. Um, and I think it's very dangerous because it, then it creates pressure on Iran to respond. They're both escalating tensions, but they both think they can control the escalation. But when you don't even leave any room for deniability, it creates pressure on the other side. What Iran does or not, I hear that Israel, Israel says now, well, we don't want to escalate any. Is it possible? What will Iran do? I can tell you that I'm speaking with security officials. It's not my own uh, assessment, but there are some fears of, um, first of all, um, kidnappings um, and, I don't know, assassinations, but hurting Israelis um, that are traveling to the Gulf. You have many of them flocking now to the United Arab Emirates, where they're also, you know, Iran has access. Uh, this is one fear. The second one is something along the lines of, uh, you remember the Iranian strike on the Saudi um, oil infrastructure, the Saudi Aramco. It was a very, very sophisticated attack. I've heard from Israeli officials saying, you know, this is something that we should be prepared for. Shira, when you're talking about the Israeli outlook on this, uh, you know, we're speaking about official Israel and really these days about Benjamin Netanyahu. I mean, in a lot of ways, when it comes to Iran, decision making power has been consolidated with the prime minister. So um, are there any dissenting views in Israel about the Iran deal or about the country's relationship with Iran and how it should handle this conflict? Yes, so uh, thank you for bringing this up. It's a really important point. Um, first of all, there is criticism in Israel that on such um, decisions, you know, a strike on a time, if it's really uh, Israel that's behind it has been claimed and leaked. Um, that's, that's, that's a big event. Um, but there are no discussions uh, behind it. The, the cabinet, the government cabinet has not convened in over a month. There hasn't been a functioning government in Israel for a long time now, but the, the security cabinet is supposed to convene. It will only convene next week to discuss the Iranian issue. Um, it's basically decisions are concentrated in the hands of the prime minister, prime minister Netanyahu. And I assume that he's close Confidence, um, Yossi Cohen, the head of Mossad, and Mayor Ben Shabbat, the head of NSC, are also uh, in the in in the loop. But you don't have. Um, I'll just give you an example. Um, the head of the Israeli strike on the nuclear reactor in Syria in 2007, 
there are reportedly uh, thousands, hundreds, if not thousands of hours of discussion uh, in which, you know, you prepare um, the possible risks, unintended consequences, what are the costs uh, versus the benefits, uh, what could happen, how do you do it? You definitely don't see this level of um, of depth and breadth in terms of the decision-making process. So this is one issue. Uh, and, and, and when everything is concentrated in the hands of uh, Netanyahu, who <laughs> some idea, an IDF, uh, very senior IDF officer once told me that for Netanyahu, Iran is a religion. It's a matter of a religion. That's how he sees it. He doesn't believe anything. He doesn't believe they will... Uh, uh, comply with an agreement, so there's no point of signing an agreement with them, even if it would be a perfect agreement, because they would not comply. On the other hand, there are people in Israel today, and there were more, I should say, in 2015 when the JCPOA was signed, but there are uh, some today that think that, you know, we saw the alternative, we saw maximum pressure, it hasn't brought us uh, the desired result, and Furthermore, no matter what Israel wants, the world is going to try to return to an agreement, something the United States under the Biden administration, they want this. The Europeans, of course, want this. They've always wanted this. The Russians want that. The Chinese want that. Israel cannot um, derail a return to, the agree to an agreement. So instead of creating confrontation with the United States and the rest of the world, it's better that Israel just accept as an assumption the international community is going to sign this agreement and instead try to get what it needs. It needs to insist that Iran indeed complies with its international commitments. And those are not derived just from the JCPOA, from the agreement. There's also safeguards and UN Council resolutions that Iran needs to comply uh, with commitments. And the compliance has not been great, to say the least. Um, and also that Israel gets assurances and that Israel knows um, how violations are being monitored and that its interests are being taken into consideration every step of the way. Um, being an, taking a confrontational path um, may not be the best way to achieve these goals. Uh, and there are dissenting views in Israel that, that call for uh, sending a different approach. The Commanders for Israel Security, uh, some of its uh, uh, members, uh, with other experts, the highest level of people from Mossad and, and uh, nuclear um, agency, Israeli nuclear agency, uh, have signed these letters calling for uh, a change in approach. We're not seeing um, this change yet, though. We will have to see how things develop. This is, of course, a ever-changing story. And if you want to keep following this, then I also encourage you to register for our upcoming webinar this coming Tuesday, April 20th, with Dahlia Dasake. We'll put a link to register in the description that's going to be on the same topic. Shira, thank you for taking the time to share your expertise and insights with us. Thank you, Evan Eli, and I highly recommend that you tune in for Dahlia's uh, webinar on Tuesday. Well, we definitely will, Shira, but we hope our listeners will as well. But... Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom.